And uh, yeah, I actually said that. It is good to be back from vacation, although vacation was great. I was, uh, one of the things that I missed, though, was you guys. I missed uh, worshiping together with you. And uh, I was reminded this afternoon of uh, one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And actually, in the Hebrew, it's uh, house of Yahweh, let's go. There was such excitement and enthusiasm about coming to worship God that uh, it was just like an emphatic, let's go, let's go to the house of Yahweh. And you have done that, whether you're here in this room or via live stream. And uh, we did have a great time in vacation, and uh, a part of the vacation was celebrating our anniversary, and we uh, were able to pull off a big surprise. Some of you know about this, but um, we actually worked it out for the rest of our immediate family here in Boston to, to join us in Colorado. Uh, unbeknownst to Shelley. And so uh, as we arrived uh, at a cabin on a river in Estes Park, Colorado, um, we walked up to the cabin and Rosie, our two-year-old granddaughter, was walking on the porch. That was all planned. And, uh, and I, I mentioned to Shelley, I said, doesn't that little girl look a lot like Rosie? And Shelley looked once, looked twice, looked at me and was like, what's going on? And about that time, the rest of the kids came out. And so, uh, again, it was our 40th wedding anniversary. So we did something a little bit special and surprise show. I think she's still in a little bit of shock that it actually happened. But we had a great time. I do want to just say, uh, first of all, uh, for those that spoke in our absence, first of all, um, Lainey Battaglia uh, spoke two weeks ago. And uh, we were driving, actually, from Colorado Springs to Denver to go to a baseball game, and we listened to that podcast, and uh, she did an amazing job, and I met with her actually yesterday up at Gordon-Conwell, and I'm glad to say that she's going to be speaking a couple more times this year, and uh, we love the diversity of having a female uh, speaker, and uh, and so she's going to be uh, joining us a little bit more of the balance of this year. And then last week, Rob just did an amazing job. this brother has a serious gift uh, of teaching, and we acknowledge that, we applaud that, and affirm that, and so uh, I know that, uh, I mean, I feel some pressure coming back from vacation now to speak tonight, and, uh, but with God's help, there's hopefully a word that's going to encourage everyone uh, this evening or whenever you are tuning in. We are still in 1 John. And Rob announced last week that we were wrapping up tonight, but what was originally on the schedule was chapter 5, which is 21 verses. And I didn't figure you wanted to be here till 10 o'clock tonight. And so uh, we've divided that out. So uh, part 1 of chapter 5 is tonight. Part 2 of chapter 5 of 1 John is next week. And then we started a really cool series called The Game of Life. And two weeks from tonight, uh, we'll be speaking on the subject of friendship. And looking at one of the um, just amazing models of friendship in scripture and making some application. And so uh, we're all about relationships and deepening friendships and how to sustain friendships. It's really hard to have friendships over years and years and years. And how can we do that? And the, the Bible helps us with that. So that started, that kicks off the Game of Life series in two weeks. Well, uh, it's funny that we talked about our 40th wedding anniversary and then I'm going to talk first uh, tonight about aging. <laughs> so, you know, aging is a peculiar thing, right? Like, um, for me, it was the first, like, pinnacle birthday was 16. 
And in the state I was living in, you could get a driver's license and a car and drive at age 16. And so that was like, I couldn't wait until I was 16. And then when I was in my 20s, it was like, I can't wait until I'm 30. Because I, I had this idea that when you hit 30, instantly you get more credibility and respect. More than you do when you're 20-something. Now, I can't say that happened, but at least I thought, I imagined that scenario, that that would be happening. And then you get to 40, and you guys are, we have a young demographic here. The average age, I think, is 27, so uh, I'm speaking as, as a senior member of this uh, fellowship for sure. But for me, when I hit 40, it's like, this could be like the halfway point. This could be like halftime, like in the game of life. And uh, then 50, it's like, Oh, wow. And then a couple years ago, I turned 60. And it's like, uh, okay, I might have one good decade left. And you guys, again, you can't even imagine this. When you're young, like you guys, it's like you feel invincible, right? It's like you're going to live forever. It's like we don't even think about mortality. Let me tell you, when you get my age, you do a little bit. You think about mortality. And I was having a conversation with a very good friend of mine. Uh, You guys know him, Nick Furtado a couple uh, months ago, and we were talking about this decade in our 60s. It's like, we've got to make it count. We've got to do all we can. We've got to invest in our family and friendships and the work in the kingdom that God has called us to do. We've got to make it count. Because uh, who knows what the 70s will bring, right? And so, um, as you get, again, to my uh, mature, uh, sage kind of age, you also start thinking a little bit more about the afterlife. A little bit more. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight in John's teaching. Uh, There is a Bible verse that a lot of you probably learned when you were young like me, except, again, to age, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. I'm I'm like bearing my soul to you guys. And you're like, what is he having like a, senior moment here or anything, but it's, I'm really not. I actually, like 60s is a new 50, right? Or 50s, yeah, I think. Okay, we'll just, we'll, we'll go with that for a while. Um, but uh, I learned John 3.16, and I learned it in the old school King James Version. Anybody else learn it in King James besides? Yeah, a few of us, okay. Not many, but a few of us did. Which says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten whatever that word means, right? Begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, love that, believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. And I memorized that as a kid. And, and here's what I surmised growing up. Well, first of all, God really loves the world. He really loves the world. And, and, uh, and second, he loves the world so much that he gave his Son so that we could have everlasting life and then it's like my idea of everlasting life and eternal life through the years really to be honest has been like okay life is probably uh, filled with lots of ups and downs sometimes there's seasons it feels like there's more downs than ups and there's like this roller coaster but then as you breathe your last then you have like bliss eternal bliss after a really hard life actually it says in the scripture in this life, you will have many trials, right? So um, there's this idea that once we um, expire from this life, 
kind of the traditional view for many Christians is then that's when life really begins. Eternal life, everlasting life. And that was really my practical theology. But what I'm going to share tonight would suggest that I think that line of thinking may be wrong. It may be incorrect. In our teaching today, we're going to examine what it means to be born again in this thing called eternal life. May the Spirit of the Lord illumine our hearts and minds to really receive what is in this uh, desired in the Spirit of God for us to, to really take hold of tonight in our life. Our teaching text tonight is 1 John 5, 1 through 12. It's a little bit longer, but it's not 21 verses, it's 12. So hear the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given us about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The word of the Lord. Let's try that again. The word of the Lord. There we go. All right. It's summer, and I know living's easy, right? Okay. As we dive into tonight's teaching, let's start at the beginning with the idea of birth, because John talks a lot about being born of God, and I want to, uh, it might seem like, you know, salvation or Christianity 101, but we haven't talked about this in a long time. What does it mean to be born of God? What, is it, what does that mean? What is, you know, what is John referring to? What does Jesus refer to? So the, really the first of three points tonight is born into life. Born into life. Now, here at Anchor, we've recently celebrated the birth of two outstanding little boys, Warren Gray and Lawton Palmer. And when they were born, we celebrated with their parents, with the family and friends. And, um, and even though it was like during the COVID season, there was still a lot of celebration because new life, new, new birth. In just a few months, we will be welcoming a little girl, a baby girl, into our fellowship. Dave and Chanel are going to be having a little girl. 
They didn't know I really was going to say that tonight, but it was on Instagram, so I think it's safe to go public, right? I hope so. Or else I'm in, in deep trouble here. But we're praying for her even now. Uh, we're praying for Chanel and for Dave. And when that day comes, we're going to celebrate life, a miracle, a newborn, with great joy. But there's a second birth, a spiritual birth, that John describes in our text. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now what's important is that we have an understanding of what that word believes actually means. It actually means those who trust in God. Those who trust in God or live their life as if they are as if they are trusting in the Lord as an expression of their belief. As James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, believing in God is not enough to be born again. Just to believe that there is a God does not mean that you are born again. I just want to be clear on that. Here's what James says in James 2.19. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you little sarcasm good for you exclamation mark even the demons believe this satan believes there's a god and they tremble in terror so it's not enough just to say i do believe in god so i'm i'm on my way to heaven and me and god are good no that's not what the bible says demons actually tremble in the knowledge of god yet they serve an evil master the key to be born of God is to live life trusting in God. It's belief in action. It results in one being born of God. Many believe in God, but far fewer actually trust in God, turn their life over to God, and surrender their life in a trusting relationship. One night Jesus had a conversation with a religious person by the name of Nicodemus. The conversation starts with Nicodemus complimenting Jesus on his teaching, on his miracle-working power. He believed in Jesus, but it wasn't quite enough. John 3, 3, Jesus responds, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus responds, How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answers, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. If there's one message that should be a clarion call from this church and other full gospel churches in Boston to our, the wonderful people of our city is this. You must be born again. On our college campuses, through relationship, you don't start, you don't lead with that, right? But through relationship, through with fellow collegians or with co-workers, at some point, we must use those words, you must be born again for them to have this entree into eternal life. So Jesus breaks it down. To be born of water is the physical infant birth, but another birth is necessary to be born of God, to be born of the Spirit, 
One birth is flesh, the second birth is spiritual. That's why the second birth is what Jesus and really two millennia of Christians have said uh, the words born again, I am born again, living born again. Which really leads us to our second really phrase we're going to camp out at a little bit, living born again. So, so you're born again because you place your trust in God through Jesus Christ. You enter into a relationship with him. So what does it mean to actually live it out? To live born again. I'm glad you asked. Living born again means living a life, John says, of three things. Loving, obeying, and overcoming. Now, right at the service, you're probably saying, I'm really down with loving and overcoming. This obeying thing, number two, is that an option? Can I just check one and three? Is it all of the above? And according to, yeah, according to John, it's all three, but you're going to get some encouraging news about the obeying part. So, uh, and it's, I think, a message that you don't hear a lot in churches, perhaps. Living born again. First, loving. Loving. Loving the children of God. John says in the first part of verse 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God. Now, Rob did a great job last week on this subject. He talked about how difficult it is sometimes for siblings to get along. Now, how many of you have a sibling, brother or sister? Raise your hand. Yeah. I think everybody does. Yeah, or almost everybody. All the hands I saw. So you know firsthand, it's not always like so easy to get along with brother or sister or both. Maybe if you're the youngest, sometimes you felt ganged up on or whatever, but it's difficult. Um, there in this, this COVID-19 era, there are siblings sometimes that are on different sides of the fence in terms of whether to get a vaccine or not. In families, and there's disputes that happen. Um, I know, I know. So it's not always easy. But grace and forgiveness go a long way in nurturing loving relationships. And I just want to say that for, not, you know, for families, yes, but we're talking siblings in the body of Christ. We're talking about brothers and sisters. And if you're in any church community long enough, if you're on a music team long enough, if you're serving as a volunteer long enough, there's going to be some frustrations sometimes. There's going to be disappointments sometimes. You said you were going to do this, you didn't do that, whatever. Or you keep it inside, which is like kind of the Christian thing to do, which is not very healthy to do often. But um, grace and forgiveness is needed in this thing called the family of God, the body of Christ. And I would hope that that really is a part of our culture at Anchor, that we're a forgiving people, that we are merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain what? Mercy. I need all the mercy I can get from God. And maybe yours, like, I could use mercy from God. So we need to be merciful people. We need to be gracious people. And so that's a big kind of working out of loving our brothers and our sisters. It's not an option, according to John. Now this leads us to the next characteristic of living life born again, which is loving God by obeying his commands. 
Verse 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands, this is good news, are not burdensome. Can you say that with me? His commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. I want that to really sink in. Because again, we have this idea, I believe, and I'm talking from my vantage point. Maybe there's a few others that feel like that. It's like, it's impossible to keep the commands of the Lord. I, I just can't. Well, it seems like John and then Jesus, as we'll see also, they have a different, they take a different slant on this thing called obedience and obeying commands. Now, I think it helps to understand, what are we talking about, the commands of God? Are we talking about the Ten Commandments? Are we talking about the 660 civil laws in the Old Testament? No, we're not talking about that at all. So you're like, I think I lost somebody when I said 660. Don't turn off the live stream. Okay, so that's a lot, right? It's a lot. And it was, it was a lot then. But Jesus came and he said, here's the thing. Here's the command. And this is the summary of the commands. Love God and love one another. And if we, if we do that, Jesus says, if you do that, you are obeying me. You are fulfilling the commands that I've given you. And they're not burdensome, John says. Now, John was an apostle. He was with Jesus. He was the one, he's the, the beloved one. He was at the cross. He was charged with attending to Mary, mother of Jesus. So I'm sure this teaching of Jesus really took hold with John because he wrote about it in his gospel. For Jesus says this, it's recorded in John 10, excuse me, it's recorded in Matthew eleven twenty nine. I'm going to get to a John quote in just a moment. But Matthew recorded this. But I'm sure Jesus uh, was speaking to the disciples at that point. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And get this, for my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. So what Jesus says here is, come and be my apprentice. Come, learn from me. The teacher is humble and gentle at heart. Now, if you're like me, you've had a lot of teachers through the years. And you might think of some that were gentle, some that were humble. You may also think of some that were prideful, some that were stern, some that when you walked in the classroom, you kind of walked in like this because you didn't want to get out of line. I had some instructors like that at all levels. Jesus is a teacher, but Jesus is humble and he is gentle at heart. And this image of Jesus is also true of God the Father because Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate. So I ask you tonight, what image do you have of God? What image might you have of Jesus? They should be united. They should be a, uh, the same view. Because God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are three in one. 
Sometimes we have a, you can have a, a more favorable view of Jesus, but a different view of God the Father. And I think that's incongruent in terms of what the scripture tells us. Do you look at God as a stern father? A distant cosmic figure? That Jesus is the humble servant king who rides into Jerusalem not on a chariot but on a donkey. He's gentle, he's kind. He offers rest to those who follow him. He offers emotional rest. He offers spiritual rest. How much is this needed today? This is probably the last 16 months or so has probably been the most stressful time for many of us. The most anxious time. Will I get laid off? Will I lose my job? For me, will people come back to the church? Will there be a church after COVID? The, the unknowing. Stress. Even now, am I going to have to go back to work? How is that going to be adjusting after all these months? Going back to the office or the commute or whatever. Do I going to have to ride the T again like for some? Stress, anxiety. Jesus says in another teaching, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. There is rest in Jesus. I really encourage you as you interact with those, again, on the campus or those at work, neighbors that you know, those that maybe somebody at the dry cleaners or a grocery store that you frequent. And as you have conversation and you sense anxiety and you sense stress in them, may the Holy Spirit prompt you just to be led and have discernment in that moment to say a word of encouragement that, you know, there is rest available. There is uh, peace and tranquility that is afforded to those who believe in Jesus. And this is especially easy if you know someone well enough to say that. Again, we have to have discernment. But I believe we do a disservice to those that we love, that are close to us, friends, co-workers, that if we don't tell them the answer, if we don't say there is another way, you, don't ha- you can rest in life without having the stress. The yoke, Jesus said, is easy. The burden is light. Yoke would have resonated with his culture. The yoke was used for oxen. The tighter the yoke, the more movement and freedom was restricted. Oftentimes the result would be uncomfortable and sometimes painful for the oxen. But Jesus says, my yoke isn't like that. There's freedom. There's not restriction. There's freedom. There is Movement, you're free as the commercial, you're free to move around. Like in life, you're free to enjoy life. You're free to live life. For the yoke is easy, the burden is light. And then third, John adds, the result in such living is victory. Living an overcoming life. He writes, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, believes, trusts in God, 
lives their life trusting in God. Living born again means loving God and loving people, which are acts of obedience to God, and overcoming obstacles on this journey called life. The Christian, the follower of Jesus, has the gift of being an overcomer, of being victorious in life. I have seen many defeated Christians as a pastor through the years. And it's really unfortunate because they're not walking in the overcoming victory that God won for them through Jesus Christ on the cross. Really living is a theme of John and the reason that Jesus came to earth. Which leads us to our third point. Our final point. Embracing eternal life in the present, future, and forever. Remember my former concept of eternal life? I spoke of earlier. You live that roller coaster. Lots of ups and downs. Oftentimes more downs than ups. You die and then you're rewarded with eternal bliss, like turning on the light switch to an amusement park. Like, we've arrived, now it's awesome. Everything's awesome. But I was wrong with that line of thinking. You see, heaven will be absolutely amazing. No tears, no suffering, no pain, no goodbyes for those that are with us in Christ. But Jesus' mission was to begin eternal life in us now, in this life. The key is eternal life. These words of Jesus are recorded in John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose. So when he says my purpose, Jesus is saying, here's the reason why I came to earth is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Let that soak in for all of you here in this room, for all of you that are watching via live stream. Jesus came to give you a rich and a satisfying life. Other translations read like this, life to the full, not life to the empty, Think of a fuel tank in a car. Not life that's like half full or three quarters. Life to the full. I don't know about you, but when I fill up the car with gas and it's a full tank, and Shelly knows this to be true, I'm always just a little bit happier when I've got a full tank of gas for some reason. It feels like I could just drive. Like I've got a little uh, meter that says typically when I fill up, I could go 400 miles. And I just sometimes I just think, well, where can I go on this tank of gas? Like it's full. But when it's empty and that light comes on, you know, that's a different feeling. It's like, I just got to find a a gas station somewhere, right? Fuel up. Jesus came to fill that tank all the way full and to give us a satisfying, rich experience. Life to the full. Another translation, abundant life. The message renders it like this, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Have you dreamed about what your life could be? I think everybody has, right? 
Sometimes we don't talk about it because we've been embarrassed to share our dreams, but God knows our dreams. And what he's saying is beyond, and this is true, and this is where my age comes in handy. So I'm not apologetic for being 62 and having an age demographic of 27. Because I can testify that the life that God has given Shelley and myself for 40 years of marriage and ministry, because we started, I started ministry one month before we got married. So it's the big four zero, right? Four decades. The path, the journey that God has had for us far exceeded any dreams that we had when we were teenagers or when we were in our 20s. Far exceeded. I could not have even dreamt of the journey that God has put us on. And so this is true. And so what's wonderful about Scripture is when we see promises and we see words of Jesus, and then you have an older guy up here saying, it's true. I've lived it out. I can testify that this is true. And God is no respecter of persons. And he, he has a great plan for you, a rich and a satisfying life. But what does this mean? Well, it means that there's peace when there's conflict. It means that there's calm when there is anxiety. It means there's rest on those times that you feel weary. It means that there's comfort when you are in a season of mourning. It means there's joy in the place of sorrow, forgiveness when we've missed the mark and made a mistake. It means that there's hope on those times that we seem lost without hope. It means that there's victory on those days that we feel defeated. In verses 11 and 12, John links eternal life with our present life in Christ. It says this, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now in this passage, John also writes a little bit more about the testimony, three witnesses of eternal life. And I don't want to tarry here long because I I don't want to get caught in the weeds, so to speak. Not that the scripture is weeds. I think you know what I'm trying to say. I don't want to miss the main point. But there are three witnesses I do believe need to be included in the teaching tonight. First is the water. Now what is that? Well, the water is, is generally theologians would say that represents the baptism of Jesus. The water baptism of Jesus Christ. That is when he was acknowledged as the Son of God publicly. That is when he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry. So the witness of the water baptism. Second, the witness of the blood And John's very clear writing about this. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross and died for our sins, his work was finished. His death has brought life to all who believe, who trust in Jesus. And third, the Spirit. And this is really cool. This is the working of the Holy Spirit in a personalized way. The Holy Spirit will speak to Jack, maybe on a Tuesday afternoon, might speak to me on a Thursday morning, might speak to... uh, Shelley or, or Jillian, you know, on a Saturday morning or something. But, but speaking to us, revealing. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit is speaking individually to the person. And this is a witness, a testimony of being born again and testimony of eternal life. 
how the Holy Spirit speaks to us in an individualized manner. With this testimony, John seems to connect eternal life with life in Jesus. John writes, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He adds that whoever has this Son has life. Now, I think it's important to understand that we can look at like three periods of history, but the Jewish culture and tradition and the, the tradition that Jesus was immersed in in Jerusalem and Judea, there's only two periods of history. One period of history is one that's filled with oppression and injustice and suffering, misery. And then there's the second period of history. And this is the period of history that God would bring hope, would sort everything out, that God would rescue his people from evil, from oppression, from injustice. That era began when Jesus came to earth. He lived, he died, and he rose again. Because now, in Jesus, there's hope. There's life for every single person. Not just Jew, but then Gentile as well. All of humanity. And so there's not like a third in the Jewish way of thinking that there is not a third period of history which is called eternal life, which, calls, which happens when you die. It's like, no, life now, life tomorrow, life forever in Jesus Christ. Will it be different? Yes. But it will still be full of abundant life. N.T. Wright adds, John has in mind a new life we live now, now. I hope you get this. Not in some non-material existence of heaven. Eternal life begins when you receive the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We are walking. For those following Christ, we're walking in eternal life now. Now, that we be activated on another level, I get that at another time. But eternal life begins now. It's available now to any in this room. It's available to any that are watching via live stream. You just have to come to the sense of, yes, I am placing my trust in God through Jesus Christ, through the cross. I believe he died for my life, for my sins. I place my trust in him. I believe in a way that is going to alter the direction of my life. I'm going to go on a different path because I trust in God. I believe. This life is better than anyone could dream of. Again, not to be redundant, but just to underscore, this new life begins the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ. We do not have to merely exist or survive this life. Friends, we can fully live now. Now. Let's pray together.